Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season four of Get Cynical. This is one that I've been planning on for a very long time, but we had to hold off for a while because I really wanted to do due diligence on it because this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, and I didn't want to mess it up. So I'd like to unveil season four of Get Cynical, featuring now Esther's wife, Hannah, as a semi-permanent third host. Hi, I got roped into this. She did not have a choice. Um, <laughs> we, it's uh, I get like sleep paralysis visions occasionally, where like Spencer shows up and he's like, "Hey, yeah, uh, so here's like a Google Doc with all the stuff we're gonna be doing for episode one. Just uh, read it when you can." <laughs> <laughs> we are talking about the rise and fall of one of the most influential sites in the history of the web, Cracked.com. And I've got to say, and I got to lay my cards on the table at the beginning of this. We're doing this for the same reason. We did that guy with the glasses because I read Cracked religiously when I was in middle school. I was, it was very near and dear to my heart at the time. And I was shocked to learn a number of my Twitter mutuals who will go unnamed for, you know, reasons of confidentiality. For the, protection sake, program. for the sake of their dignity. Yeah. Yeah, no. That they had written for Cracked or had edited for Cracked or knew like some of the real like big writers for Cracked. And I talked to a lot of them to make sure we could get an accurate picture and to help see how we could structure this. And we are just going to go through a chronological overview of Cracked's humble origins as a website to its like glorious heights as the kingmaker of the internet to its total collapse and downfall to the sad state it is now where it is basically just BuzzFeed run by 80s movies, guys. So uh, let me just dive right in. Um, did either of you two, Esther, I know you read Cracked at least a little bit because one of my favorite deleted tweets from you is when Roger Ebert retweeted Cracked and you you <laughs> quote you quoted it saying, oh. OMG, Roger Ebert retweeting Cracked, best night ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> you're gonna have to. Is it is it really deleted? Um, I think it's no, not, it's not deleted. Yeah, you should retweet it in as promotion for this episode. Yeah, yeah. So what's gonna happen is that in every year of our marriage, Esther is gonna reveal more of this shit to me, <laughs> and it's just gonna be like year three. I'm gonna learn exactly how many times she uh, submitted jokes to at midnight. Let's not even get started. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I read cracked. A lot. It was one of the f earliest websites that I can remember, like, having bookmarked and, like, checking every day to read the news. Oh, yeah. List. What's funny is, like, I feel like I have repressed so many of my memories of it. Although a couple, a couple things we checked out for this very first episode, I felt sort of, I had sort of a Proustian flashback yeah. um, to, to uh, Michael Swaim, for example. We'll get into him. But no, I Cracked, I think, was in some ways kind of ahead of its time, both in terms of, like, the style of humor that it was uh, becoming influential in on the internet, uh, and also in terms of the kind of clickbait slop <laughs> that is now just what every website is. You know, obviously Something Awful and 4chan and, like, yeah. places like that were really influential, just in terms of how people talk and, like, think about stuff on the internet. Even today, Cracked is, like, right up there with those in terms of, like, it, it set not just, like, the discourse for how we talk about pop culture on the internet for like a decade, but also the way that we talk about it. Yes. That guy with the glasses, that reach wasn't that huge. That was mostly just a site for like weird nerdy kids, which there were a lot of, but mm -hmm. Cracked was fucking gigantic. It was enormous. It was getting by 2007 millions of page views, which in 2007 numbers is fucking crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it was staggering i mean in terms of in today's terms it's like websites don't no website gets that many views ever yeah um, unless it's like one of the five platforms yeah unless it's a, unless it's a social media website or maybe an app like i'm sure tiktok gets that many views but unless it's like the front page of google or youtube or facebook like yeah. nothing gets that uh, that kind of views anymore because websites don't exist anymore yeah esther i also had that same process of like a chill running up my spine remembering like, oh, I've seen this video before, which happened starting in uh, the 2008 stuff that we watched. Yeah. Because um, we, we're, we're covering Cards on the Table here, 2005 to around 2008 or so, a little bit of fudging. And 
I didn't get into crack.com until I was in college when my roommate and best friend, who is like all-American football hero, colonel in the United States Air Force, (laughs) would just like show me crack.com articles every day and be like, I want to be Gladstone when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) We need to, this is a sidebar, but there needs to be an investigation into how like soy the military has gotten because (laughs) the most right-wing military guy I know from my childhood is like the biggest Legend of Zelda fan in the world. <laughs> there's something There's yeah. something wrong with that institution. We have and, Tommy Tuberville on the show this week, everybody. Yeah, and to be <laughs> clear, this, um, this old best friend of mine, uh, who I'm still in contact with, uh, he is more of like the epic liberal type of uh, military guy where like he'll talk about like how Teddy Roosevelt is the greatest American badass and... <laughs> You know, he loves Lyndon B. Johnson and, like, is obsessed with, like, the stories about him, like, whipping his cock out. And he's like, that was the most epic guy in history. <laughs> so, so that's the sort of flavor of, like, who's uh, uh, the, the civilizing influence on our military forces right now. <laughs> Let's do a little history first, since there is, there is a little bit of a story to Cracked's formation. In the very early 2000s, like... I think this website was formed the day 9-11 happened or something. There was a website, a forum, called Pointless Waste of Time. And it was the brainchild of a lot of aspiring comedy writers. Names that you're going to hear a lot in this series, like David Wong and John Cheese. Do we have to call him that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're talking about Jason Pargan? Yeah. Yeah, Jason Pargan, a.k.a. David Wong. If we call him David yeah. Wong throughout, then it's because he was accredited like that on the site for yeah. like a decade. I'm, I'm sorry to dead name him. Yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> he has started going by it again yeah. recently. There was a, a certain point in like, you know, the idea of what is an ex- is not acceptable on the internet to just be like, oh, maybe I should stop pretending to be an Asian guy. <laughs> but they started this website, this forum, Pointless Waste of Time, where they mm-hmm. would write articles and they would, you know, just riff and post. It was a very classic early internet forum. Yeah. Who hasn't been there? Yeah. Their machinations turning in the background. You see, Cracked itself, as I'm sure all of you know, was a ripoff of Mad Magazine back in the day, back in the very old day. And it was not successful. It was, it was not nowhere near as successful. Oh, I was eight years old in 1958 when it first started coming out. So you would get it for a nickel and you would uh, not laugh. Yeah, no, it can't match the scarborous wit of a mad magazine drawing people with really fucked up faces. Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, in the early 2000s, someone thought that, well, maybe we can try reviving Cracked Magazine. And what the hell? Why don't we try making it into a website, too? And the website was mostly handled by a guy named Jack O'Brien, who is not Dan O'Brien. Dan (laughs) O'Brien's a different figure. It was a man named Jack O'Brien. And he formed the website. And in a course of two years, the website became one of the most popular things on the Internet and entirely reshaped the way we consume pop culture content, the way we write about pop culture, the way we talk about it. There was a two-year dark age, which is mostly what we're talking about here, but it hit the ground running pretty fast, which is honestly pretty impressive. Yeah, it is fascinating to just see like the rapid evolution within that period from something that's like very derivative and very just like uncomfortable in specific ways that it later very quickly like matured into different ways of being uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Yes, very, very. So we we took a look at some of these very early articles from 2005, 2006, 2007. 2007 is really where the list, whole list angle takes off. There was something very revealing. There was a cracked article. One of the first ones I read was by Chris Buchholz, and it was one about online dating. And that was one of the very few ones that we read for this that I actually laughed at. And in 2007, which I believe was a year later, it was reposted as a list-based article. Like, the content was the same, but they restructured it from being how to fail at a dating app to five ways you can fail at a dating app. So that they knew where their bread was buttered. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah, no. 
And again, I need to reiterate, these articles, I will be perfectly honest when they suck, and I'll be perfectly honest when I laughed at them. Mm-hmm. The Chris one, I think, is the only one that I actually had a good time reading out of the dozens of articles I read in preparation for this episode. That one very much felt like a throwback to like, um, like plain text humor articles that I would read in like 2001, and I would be like, I, I sure feel cool for reading all this stuff about, like, you know, how to be epic porn guy, even though, like, I have no idea what any of this shit means at this yeah. point. Yeah. But I, I, the stuff that was around in, like, 2005, 2006, before they settled into that list idea, the way that I was, like, conceiving of it as I was reading it is, like, epic bacon McSweeney's. Um, did either of you ever have any experience with McSweeney's? Yep. Yep. I did not. McSweeney's is a sort of like early internet by which we mean like early mid 2000s um kind of like new yorker humorist type stuff um it's very sort of like dignified type of jokes um very like things that you would chortle at rather than like actually having a a real reaction to and it's it's the same type of like you know first person essay humor um like from the the point of view of like a ridiculous subject right if you've um, read or heard of uh, Dave Eggers as a writer, he's somebody who like came up in the, the McSweeney sphere. Um, but like that type of mindset of, again, like we're obsessed with a New Yorker, but we're also young and online and think that we're hip. That type of mindset, but then like way hornier, way stupider, way more annoying as opposed to something that's just kind of like boring in a stately way but the same amount of jokes i think is yes that that's the main connection of like mcsweeney's is something that you sensibly chuckle at and (laughs) and cracked is something that rather than laughing you kind of go whoa yeah (laughs) yeah i think if i can be fair to the crack.com team and this was something why their list format really took off was because I found myself laughing at a couple of like these articles, but I realized it was never for the actual writing. No. Uh, yeah. They, yep. they were very, even from the beginning, they were very, very good curators. They were good at finding stuff that was funny and then not getting in the way of it. Like there was an article about bad album covers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was laughing at that because a lot of those are notoriously really bad album covers and some of them are, you know, still classics that we talk about today. Yeah. The one of the 2005 articles we we read for this, uh, gifts that might indicate your parents hate you. Um clearly clearly an early one because it's not like the top 25 gifts that indicate your parents hate you. Yeah. It's it, it is just a list of like, you know, a list of punchlines, basically. It's cards against humanity. It is. Stuff. It literally is. And the first one, the first one on this list of gifts that might indicate your parents hate you is Xbox three fifty nine, and I did laugh at that. I thought that was pretty good. Um, but it's your loves number jokes. But again, I mean, it's it's great. You got one, two, three. <laughs> yeah. Don't even start on four. I, I don't think she's ready for the whole like what happened with seven and nine thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, it's like, this is so clearly a list of like, I bet they came up with like 50 of these and we'll pick like the 25 best. Mm-hmm. And they started with the best one and none of the rest of them are funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, another good example of their skills at curation. Um, I laughed pretty hard at the nine most unnecessary greatest hits albums of all time. That's yeah. that's a great example of like, that's a, that's a really funny bit that you could have about one of the people they listed. Like that would be a funny tweet. To be like, who so-and-so has the least necessary greatest hits album or something. Mm-hmm. I, I know that there's like, on that curation angle, this is like getting a little ahead of ourselves because um, Sean Baby didn't show up on this site until I think like 2009, 2010. But one of the things that he introduced me to via curation on this site was um, the Boss Rutan self-defense video. And I quote that shit to this day. Like, it is a great video. I'm constantly physically attacking Esther while <laughs> like, you know, saying things like, don't you ever do this in a Dutch accent. <laughs> oh, no, the, the videos that they curated were fantastic. Like, they, they, they introduced me to the video of the goats yelling Bob and Ed at each other. Mm-hmm. That's an all-time classic. <laughs> of course. Something else that I found very interesting is that this early era of Cracked is incredibly contradictory. In that, um, like, you talk about the frat horniness of it, and it's so bad. It's really, really bad. Like, I am not a prude when it comes to this stuff. 
I don't mind like kind of gross jokes, but this particular site, like I, I couldn't handle some of these lines. Like there were two separate instances where they referred to woman as the most bangable alive. <laughs> I wonder if that's a Stevie Nicks, wasn't it? <laughs> Which is so cool. <laughs> Stevie Nicks and Carmen Electra. <laughs> Widely considered the two most bangable women of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of like talking about like skanks and whores and a lot of like mid 2000s horniness in this type of way that it's like, I mean, again, if we're talking about like influences on this, things that fed into this, um, if either of you remember Maddox, the best page on the internet or whatever. Oh, it's yeah. Called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that type of idea of like, I'm the smartest guy in the room, but I'm also, like, really crude and really, like, you know, blue. Um, That's something that that definitely defines a lot of this uh, mindset as well. Yes. No, absolutely. The Maddox comparison is very instructive. Also, a lot of stuff like zero punctuation and a lot of very early internet stuff that was targeted towards adults rather than YouTube stuff, which was targeted at kids and teenagers. Yeah. Even the nostalgia critic, to some extent, like, they kind of mixed, like, this smug arrogance with, you know, like, very graphic, gratuitous, horny jokes about yeah. porn or whatever. I mean, I think in the it was in the early era of the internet, in the, in the mid-2000s, I think there was this sense of, like, this is the place where we can, like, joke about this stuff. Because, you know, everybody has watched porn. Everybody watches porn. Everybody thinks about sex. Like... All right, that's the sting operation on Esther concluded. She admits it. <laughs> All right, yeah, wrap the podcast. This We're is, done here. This uh, has been a four-year operation. Uh, this bitch is horny. Get her. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to start calling you an epic skank waffle from here on in. <laughs> no, well, you know, yeah, you know what I mean, though, right? Like, everyone, this is something that everyone thinks about and knows about, and that, like, in the mid-2000s, it was, like, if not transgressive, genuinely then it probably felt like it to these people to be like yeah we're going to talk about fucking porn and boobs and all this shit because who there's no regulation over what we post on the internet we don't have to run it by an editor um you know it's some real publication we can just talk about it um which led them to like way overcorrect obviously because it is like truly truly horrific um some of these articles there's an article that I want to I want to read a little bit of until we all get disgusted, oh, um, no. and it's by fucking Michael Ian Black. Yeah, <laughs> which is it's a that's a huge curveball. Like I I knew all the guys going in, but then I, I saw that Michael Ian Black wrote this one. I'm like, wait, what? What? Where did this come from? This is from like 2006, and it's called "How to Approach the Sensitive Question." Anal question <laughs> mark. Jesus Christ. I I gotta say also. As like a 12-year-old who was decently sheltered at this time, I, I got the impression that like anal was the best thing in the world for straight men. <laughs> like that was the only thing they thought about. Like that was that was my impression. It's like, okay, so when you're grown up and you're married, you ha- you get to fuck your wife in the ass, but you have to beg her for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to court her. So why don't why don't we just read read pa- a passage from this since this one is like a particularly poorly aged article. This one, I'm going to skip the first two paragraphs mm-hmm. and just go this. How do we do this as loving men? How do we approach the sensitive question? Anal question mark. There are a couple of different methods. Most common is what I call the accidental method. Simply put, you wait until you are about to have intercourse, then you quote unquote accidentally. Put it in her rear end. When she says, that's the wrong hole, you say, there's nothing wrong about it. From that point, it should be pretty obvious how she wants you to proceed. I mean, look, I know this is a joke, but like, come on. I'm glad he started with that one. You always have to start with your best material. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's a Patrice O'Neill bit about uh, you have a poltergeister. And he describes a sex act where you're, like, taking her from behind and you, like, uh, swap out for, an, uh, like, your friend. And then you, like, come in front of the window and wave to her. <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a... <laughs> it's, it's one of the funniest things. It's vile, so obviously. Funny. But it's like... Yeah. I remember that, um, like, Amy Schumer stole that joke, like, a decade later. And when she did it, she had to, like, put a disclaimer on it being like, and that's just rape. <laughs> and... <laughs> So I'm just imagining, like, the 2015 version of this article that's just, like, 
<laughs> These are all the bad things to do that Donald Trump would do. And then the mo- the modern version of that bit is that one guy on TikTok who's like, "How to Pikachu a bitch?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he he cla- he qualifies it though and says. I don't recommend this approach because it catches the lady off guard. And if for some reason she does not want to proceed in the prescribed manner, it necessitates you either cleaning yourself up or double dipping, which is not a good idea for hygienic reasons. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. So Michael and Black had already had like Stella and the state at this time, right? Isn't he gay, by the way? This is this is something a gay man would write about like heterosexual sex, I will so say. There's like a there's a bit at the end where he's like, I have no idea how this works for gay men, but I assume it's much easier and cooler. No, he's wait, no, no he's, he's straight. He's a wife, yeah. Why did I think he was who am I thinking of? Michael and Black. No, but there's a gay <laughs> there's a gay man. There is Esther, yeah. <laughs> Somewhere there's a gay man who I'm thinking. Oh Somewhere my God. there is a gay man. Yeah, no, follow that thought this through. Is, this is going to kill me. I'll get back to it. No, but he had, at this point, um, had the state, Stella, um, obviously Wet Hot American Summer. So he, he had, like, so much as as far as, like, actual success, actual, like, real success. And it's like, you can't imagine that this is what catapulted them to fame. Just having Michael Ian Black write the most disgusting no. sex article of all time. From all accounts, from p- what people have told me, a huge driver for the success is that they got posted on Dig a lot, which is, and it was very big there. <laughs> uh, you never know what you're going to dig up when you're on yeah. Dig. Was that their slogan? Should have been. Okay. If I would listen, they put me in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of you two should take over for this next paragraph. I posted it in the recording channel. Yeah, yeah, hang on, let me see. I'll I'll, I'll read whatever this is. I'm only going to read the nice articles where people help each other. (laughs) Another approach is the finger twaddle. I call it that because twaddle is a very funny word. This is a multi-stage process. First, during foreplay, spend some time fondling her tush. Okay. If she responds positively, insert your pointer finger, a maneuver I call the twaddle. Twaddle around, twaddle around in there a little. She likey? Great. <laughs> now, as you twaddle, whisper the following in her ear. Roll over, baby. The rest should take care of itself. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's simple, clear instructions. It, you can't, it's like, it's like when you get a Lego set, it's like you, they really thought of everything in terms of how to clearly communicate this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what reading this is it's like. Foolproof, it's foolproof. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ! All right, do you want me to? Keep, you want me to keep? Yeah, going? keep going, keep going. <laughs> maybe you're one of those guys who likes to lay down the rules of the road before the evening progresses to coitus. Yeah, maybe you're one of those guys who likes to ask for consent. For example, <laughs> one of those guys. Um, as I mentioned before, simply posing the question in a straightforward manner rarely achieves the desired result. Instead, try asking in an indirect way. Perhaps you've just enjoyed a romantic dinner together. I'd suggest Red Lobster. The evening is going well, and you suspect the two of you might end up in bed together later in the evening. Great. Here's what you do. Order dessert. If you take my suggestion of Red Lobster, I further suggest the Chocolate Wave. You're you're killing it with the Red Lobster jokes, buddy. Love a good uh, Red Lobster. Red Lobster. Does anyone else think that's the funniest restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) When your Chocolate Wave arrives, spoon some of that gooey... You have to read it, Esther. No! You have to read it, Esther. I don't want to. Esther, you gotta do it. When your chocolate wave arrives, Mm -hmm. spoon some of that gooey concoction into her mouth. Was that so hard? I wish this gooey concoction was my wang. And I wish your mouth was your your butt. So, by the way, the reason why she's so embarrassed is that uh, this is how she talks to me in real life. It's, yeah, that's actually, it's folk on our first date. It's so funny. How, it's disgusting. How well this parallels. It's basically exactly what I said. Um, so it did work, obviously. Um, yeah. And it's not that she, like, was quoting a specific article. She just arrived at those exact phrases independently. Yeah, that's the craziest part. <laughs> All right. If she says, I wish that too, you'll know where you stand. <laughs> That's I love. That's I love. I love how women talk. I wish that too. Yeah. I wish that too. I think he's. I think he's being clever with that one. That's disgusting. You can easily say I was just kidding, or less convincingly, you could try. I think you misunderstood me. 
That's pretty funny. But that's not the kind yeah, that of thing is pretty that's good. easily misunderstood. Yeah. I mean, he, you could tell that, like, an actual comedian was doing this at very, like, occasional flashes. But it's like, he was given the direction of be like, be as gross and unpleasant as possible with every <laughs> single line. Yeah. Um, Hannah, do you want to try the next one? The, the long paragraph here? Yeah, I can do my best. If this is still too direct, take her on a long walk through a nature conservancy or arboretum. While strolling among the flora and fauna, take her hand in yours and say something like, I'm having a great time. I'd like to know everything about you. Women love to hear that. Next, ask her a series of utterly meaningless questions. What are your hopes and dreams? Have you ever been in love? Where's the worst tragedy that's ever befallen you? Etc. Etc. Again, that right there is like... That is a joke. Like what is yes. the worst tragedy that has ever befallen you. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. That's that's what's frustrating about Cracked is that like you know unlike the YouTube people and unlike the nostalgia critic and unlike so many others we've had to talk about these people did at least like cut their teeth on comedy like they they kind of know what they're doing the just the tone and like the ideology I want to say is just so fucking repulsive. Yeah, it's it's like if this was an article about anything else and just had a few of those like good lines of like you misunderstood me or what's what's the worst tragedy that's ever befallen you. It's like this could be a perfectly fine like humor article. It's just there was a mandate from 2005 to 2006 that like everything has to be about fucking in the most like vile, sad way. Well, I think what sets this apart from the YouTube people is like all of the that guy with the glasses people really leaned on like unlike editing basically like that's Mm. the thing that they were not necessarily good at but like that's where they were bringing it and that's why and they were succeeding because of that and sort of leaning on it so that they didn't have to like write jokes um which is funny because like some of the most actually like talented of them back in the day were the people who were actually writing like long form articles on their websites like spoony one was doing that Mm -hmm. um just be and like he had a uh, actual comedic sensibility in his writing um, that was completely separate from the video editing aspect of it. And I think that's probably what's true of crack to some extent too. Like you know, when all you have is just the words you're writing, you can't fall back on any like. I mean, you, we'll get to they did videos too, obviously, and they did like Photoshop shit. Yeah. Um, but you know, you have to bring it at least a little bit, or else you know obviously we don't we don't think a lot of this is funny the way that the people who like this at the time think it's funny but it has to be if it just wasn't funny at all (laughs) it wouldn't have been successful you heard it from here uh esther believes this is funny yeah i'm i'm fucking it's busting my whole shit up i mean yeah i I mean what i'll say is that like i think in the that guy with the glasses comparison there's a sense of underwriting in a lot of guy with the glasses videos where it's just like they will tell you something that happens in a plot of a movie and then just like make a face or go like, what? Or say for no reason and then expect that to be the entire joke, right? Just like letting the material carry it. Um, whereas crack.com finds genuinely really good stuff, especially later on, and then kind of like gilds it too much in like, we're not just going to show you this really bad album cover. We're going to have like four sentences about like, why it's odd that there should be an album cover um you know of like a woman on a toilet just give it a middle finger that's the funny thing about this though is like i remember reading cracked like they were so easy to skim because the thing you were looking for i think at least i was looking for a lot of the time in these lists was like not the The writing yeah not the writing that like lengthily explicated what was funny about the thing but just the funny thing like you say Mm -hmm. like what I think like you were saying, uh, Spencer, like the curation aspect of Cracked yeah. is I think what was, you know, genuinely could be good about them. The way that they would assemble and find weird, stupid things and frame them in a way that, you know, was made you smile or, yeah. you know, chortle. Right, so I've been delaying finishing this paragraph for far too long. Um, oh, God, I was hoping I was hoping we could move on. As you are listening, slowly wrap your arm around her waist and slide your hand down to the small of her back. Continue talking until you decide a moment is right for an over-the-pant finger twaddle. This is accomplished by lightly caressing her anus in a sympathetic manner. How do you caress somebody's anus sympathetically? Brother, if I have to tell you that, you need more help than I can offer. Or sister. 
Uh, also, a yeah. lot, a lot. I have to bring this up. A lot of the early articles, the images are broken. Sadly, the images are intact in this one. Um, they are very, very intact, and it's a, uh, <laughs> it's awful. It's like very daytime soap opera type stock imagery. Yeah, it's stock imagery of like fancy looking old couples enjoying their time together. Uh, well, that's not how I would describe the first image. That one is just a man on top of a woman who has a very strained, <laughs> veiny expression on her face, is, is how I'll describe this. Um, <laughs> just searching woman not enjoying herself. <laughs> <laughs> and, and stock photos delivered on that promise. And like, they always do. Yeah. Woman who is hurt. <laughs> I, I want to I just like chime in also. Uh, they also had, I think, good collaboration on these. Uh, a mm-hmm. friend of mine, who I will not reveal, but who happened to r- write the article, Five Awesome Movies Ruined by Last Minute Changes, he said that Cracked, like, you would write the articles for them, and then when the editors were done with them, they could be wildly different. Like, he said that for this particular article, one of the suggestions he had was just completely changed. Like they took out one and just added a brand new one. And honestly, that's a pretty smart way to run a comedy website since comedy is built off riffing out ideas and like punching up stuff and having different perspectives. So if it sounds really mercenary, and it was when you realize that like most of the non-staff writers for this website were making like $50 an article, but... At the same time, it's pretty smart. That's also how I operated when I was an editor for a film review website. I would just, I would just go in there and, and change people's <laughs> not, not their opinions, but just like, just change their sentences. Just say like, you could have written this better. I'm sorry if you if you wrote for audiences everywhere at any point. Uh, I did do that to you at some point. Amazing. Spencer, before I move on to the proper list, Eric, can I just read a very little bit of the earliest article that you sent us? Yes. That I think gives like a a, a very distinct impression of the epic Bacon McSweeney's idea. Uh, This is called The Penis Blog. And it starts with the fateful paragraph. I'm just going to cut to the chase and get this off my shaft. Do you have an idea how hard it is being your penis? I can name 10 times I've saved your ass off the top of my head. Okay, I don't mean to make puns, but this typing thing is a little new to me. I have to go one key at a time, and the balls keep hitting the space bar. Let me fast forward to the final paragraph, which says, Look, if you don't start showing me the respect I deserve, I'm staging a result. Hey, what's that poking Janet, the 60-year-old accounting director on the crowded elevator? It's me, motherfucker, because that's how I roll. I've got you by the balls and you know it. Respect my authority. Oh, that's, (laughs) that's awesome. That that is that is the pure encapsulation of Bacon Guy McSweeney's. I think. Yeah, it's incredible. I want to read the worst passage that I got from these articles and uh, the best passage from one of these articles, just to be just to be balance things out. So there was the uh, article seven historical breakthroughs in masturbation. Can they say that? <laughs> you know, you know, my ass was taking notes reading that article. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the line was, back home in America, the ass end of the 1800s were giving us nude trapeze acts, which, if it could somehow include bacon and an explosion, would be the best thing ever. I think, you know, for, for all we talk about bacon guys, I'd get cynical over the years. I think that might be the first time that there's been a genuine, like, just reference to bacon being epic. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's actually seeing somebody say... That just happened and not the yeah. style of dialogue that people mean when they say that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this, no, it's this was the era of like the man show and like Spike TV and like the things that guys want to see on the Internet is like, you know, big boobs and hamburgers and like video games um, and, and, and and bacon uh, and explosions, as, as the article says. Uh, and it's so funny how like I think you can see and we'll see over the course of this crack.com history how that changes to like. The things guys want to see on the internet are like the top five elves. <laughs> <laughs> if I can, if I can, on the other hand, be be polite and point out a line that actually did make me laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. It's on the 15 worst album covers of all time by Ben Dennison, and it's the last one. And it's talking about Virgin Killer by the Scorpions, as I mentioned, which in case you're one of the lucky ones who has not made that horrible Google search, 
Uh, that album cover is a naked 12-year-old. They later reflected on the reissued album cover, which is a photo of the band. And you do need to see this photo of the band in order to get the full thrust of the joke. But the line that closes out this article actually did, like, make me laugh out loud, which is, As you can see, most of the band are celebrating because they weren't arrested on child pornography charges, while the dude with the mustache seems to have just been shown the child porn cover for the first time. <laughs> it's really good. I have to say, this this is the one that I had a flashback to, like, actually having read uh, yeah. when I was younger. And the joke that gets me from this one is there's... Uh, they talk about uh, Pooh Man, funky as I want to be. The picture, yeah. which is a picture of his head with sunglasses, photoshopped in between like a POV shot of, of women's legs sticking in the air. And at yeah. the end of this section, they flip it upside down and say it actually looks like he's being pooped out of her. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. It's really, it's really, really good. There's God, and that doesn't even talk about like just a lot of the annoying like internet guy grievances from around the time that get brought up on these articles like you know i'm a liberal but i think liberals are too annoying or whatever that <laughs> yeah. was a big theme movie um, needs to be more epic <laughs> there was the six music industry tricks that need to die and of course they talk about auto-tune and they talk about one of the things that they get mad at is feature credits and yeah. multiple producers so cool. on one album. That feels very, very racist. That yeah. is really no, absolutely. That is some Bull Connor shit right there. No, but they, they whenever they do that, they try to like I, I noticed this, um, because there's a couple articles where they like make fun of like rap stuff or like get angry at it. That one definitely. There's also like the worst lyrics and otherwise really good rap songs. And like whenever they bring up that topic, they make really damn sure to be like, no. I love rap, okay? This is amazing. <laughs> rap is rap is poetry for a new generation. And the one that talks about like multiple producers is just like, oh, back in a day, it's like the producer would be a, a member of the the group, you know? Like if you're talking about um like public enemy, right? Like Terminator is is, is uh, just as important uh, as, you know, the the MCs would be. Um but like it's it's establishing these bona fides in a way that they notably don't do with, like, their treatment of women in any way um, until, like, later on in the shows uh, or in the site's run where, like, I think eventually they sort of settle into this place where it's like, now look, I'm a, I'm a feminist, I respect women, I, I'm, a, I'm a good person, but look at these fucking skanks. It's the same way that, like, what they eventually settle into there, they're already doing from the jump with, like, listen, I like real hip-hop, not any of this, like, T-paid garbage. Well, Can I, speaking I, of feminism... You, I'm glad you brought that oh, article on, up because yeah. that article does also have something that really made me laugh, which is not something yes, that they yeah, wrote, yeah. but it's just the, the worst lyric to ever ruin good rap songs. Number two, from What's Beef by Notorious B.I.G., the lyric is... Oh, God. <laughs> Don't they know my Edward gutter fucking kidnap kids? Fuck them in the ass, throw them over the bridge? <laughs> and I read that and I was like, what? No, <laughs> biggie... it's insane. Biggie had so many lyrics about like, you know, like, if we have beef, I'm going to fuck your kids. I'm going to fuck your kids and kill them. Your daughter's tied up in a Brooklyn basement. <laughs> I love the idea, first of all, that his, his friend's name is Gutter. <laughs> and that he is a child murderer. Yeah, and, and if we're talking about like uh, uh, internet humor video lineages, then like also around the late 2000s in a way that I feel like has to be inspired by that type of shit were the unforgivable videos, right? Where it's like I didn't I didn't blink at that for a second. It's just like oh yeah, that's like something that would be in one of the unforgivable videos. Yes. Yeah. No. That that is that is something that comes up whenever I talk about Biggie or whenever like my friend is playing Biggie. I'm like, so good. Too many lines about fucking your ops kids. Too many <laughs> lines about that. Which uh, okay. So like as we're we're sort of transitioning into the era where we talk about lists, it's like there's two main things that the uh, that the lists are about and i think that idea of like did you know that biggie has songs about fucking his ops kids um it, it sort of sits right in the middle of them it's like number one is like interesting historical trivia that's a little messed up and number two it's like looking at pop culture in a way that's a little bit twisted like one of the ones yes. that you uh suggested for us to read was like um six happy endings that are actually incredibly bleak 
And that mm-hmm. ended up being like half their output in like their golden years. No, that yeah, that was such a classic premise of like actually like uh in real life Cinderella was a slave. Why Fraser is secretly dark. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to let's not neglect though that in these articles there was a very very noticeable strand of pop feminism since they did hire female writers and they did let female writers and a couple of their more virulently male feminist writers uh, go on these tangents and there were a couple of articles that like made me go really they were posting this on like the the, the anal rape site. Okay. There was Glenn Thompson's The Sixth Most gratuitously, gratuitously Cleavaged Woman on TV. And I got to say, uh, this most of these, no, not really. Um, <laughs> to reach with some of them. The, H, the HBO era is going to make, like, fucking... Uh, <laughs> Make that Food Network lady seem pretty tame in a couple of years. No, yeah, the po- the post like Game of Thrones premiere HBO era hit all of these people like an eighteen wheeler. Yeah, no, it's like, oh my god, did you see Giada De Laurentiis like is kind of wearing cleavage or whatever, and then like like Game of Thrones would just have like full on like male frontal nudity, and everyone's like, oh, what? Okay, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was also Hollywood's five saddest attempts at feminism, um, and I—I I don't know. You guys, you guys are the prequel fans. Are you mad at pa- Padme Amidala being on here? Y'all mad at that? No, no. I mean, it's a—it's like, a, she sucks, and that's that's why I like her as a character. <laughs> it's a classic complaint about Episode Three that like she dies of a broken heart, which like you know, it, but George Lucas is obsessed with the, you know the fucking like opera and shit, and like. Uh, that that kind of style of storytelling where stuff like that happens all yeah. the time. So, like, it, I think it kind of grates in a normal mid two thousand sci fi movie. Like, it's understandable. Yeah. Um, I I get why people have complained about it since that movie came out. I, I mean, what I would say is that like the issue that I take with these articles is not that like how dare they insult these like great examples of of feminine power, but more just that just, like this is the type of like pop feminism that like curdles directly into like the nine hour youtube videos about like you know why the star wars sequels are bad um because there's there's such a thin dividing line between like hollywood's five saddest attempts at feminism and like oh we don't hate strong female characters we just think that all of these ones suck and like i like ripley so that means that i can't be misogynist right like these are these are also interesting because I don't, I mean, I haven't seen Firefly, so I can't vouch for that one, but I don't think any of these characters are supposed to be like feminist icons or female role models. Like Catwoman in Batman Returns is like a villain for a lot of it. Yeah, I, I, I think that like what the case is, is that like it's less that these are characters that are supposed to be like empowering female icons. So they, you know, they do have, like, their corny lines, right? Like, Eowyn from The Lord of the Rings says, I am no man. Catwoman says, I am Catwoman. Hear me roar. Like, they're clearly playing with that idea at the very least. But I think more of what's being said here is that, like, other women did find these characters empowering in, like, a corny pop feminism way, right? And yeah. so it's, what it is, is, like, it's corny pop feminism civil war here, right? Yeah. Of, like, you're being inspired by the wrong girl bosses. And it's and that war is still being fought. Like, we talk all the time about how, like, people pretended to like Lady Ghostbusters because people were being misogynist about it. Like, that, or, or fucking Captain Marvel, or any of these examples of, like, these really obnoxious, stupid, cloying, pandering, you know, female characters in movies that, like... like portrait of a lady on fire. It... <laughs> That, like, you know, I don't want to have to defend this fucking slop, but the the people who are talking shit about it all the time just hate women and are just doing it because they hate women. So, like, it just puts you in a fucking impossible position of, like, I don't don't want to defend this shit. I think it'd be really funny to do this exact same article today, but the characters are, like, the girl from Titan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so I see. So the movie is saying she can only be fulfilled when she has a child. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought I thought she was cool. I like when she broke her nose on the sink. Yeah, uh, that's, that, a, that's that was, a girl boss move. That was pretty sick. I, I didn't even like the movie, but that was a pretty cool thing to do. That okay. That I will say. Part of why I liked that movie was I watched it with an audience, and I'm pretty sure 90 percent of them expected it to be a female empowerment movie. <laughs> so when she just 
cuts her lesbian lover's throat, murders a bunch of people, and then smashes up her face on a sink. The whole audience was freaking out and walking out. <laughs> so I was I got a vicarious thrill out of seeing that. Hell yeah. It was like you were terrorizing those women. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the video shows now, since we, we've we've touched upon the yeah, gauntlet yeah. of these articles? Yeah, I, just, just the last thing that I would say is that, like, we see, I think, like, a real inflection point in 2007, where as the lists are uh, starting to emerge very early on, it's, like, list of seven weird sex things, right? Like, here's a list about the history of, like, you know, the first X sex act, right? Or, like, the first uh, breakthroughs in masturbation or whatever. And then gradually it starts to get to more of like the things uh, of, of just like, you know, the, the, the classic example is like, did you know that Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it, right? Those types yeah. of like epic trivias. Um, and that's half of what they do. And then the other half is like, you know, uh, again, Dark Frasier. Uh, but yeah, videos. So crack starts really taking off properly around 2007 and they branch out into video content. Again, making them a little bit ahead of the time because, you know, there's a ominous three-word phrase that's going to be repeated a lot in the future of this future of this series. I love that you. may or may not have contributed Thank to the answer. downfall of the site. But the uh, the video series we watched are Crack TV, Hate by Numbers, Agents of Cracked. And I'm just going to get Agents of Cracked out of the way. This is unwatchable. I couldn't focus on it. I had no idea what was happening. I hated every second of it. Oh, I don't even want to talk about it yeah, that much. Same. Sucks, I, I definitely watched it and have that same opinion. Yep. <laughs> I didn't just forget yep. to watch it. <laughs> There's nothing there. There's nothing. No, it's bad. It's it's ambitious What's for like premise? a comedy series on the internet. The premise is like, what if it, this is what it's really like to work at Cracked. Oh. But it's like, Swaim is like, there's the kind of like a secret agent aspect that they report to like a faceless, like deep throat style boss. It's a really like... I, I think my Air Force buddy, like, watched this one all the time. No, of course. The, the images yeah. are flooding back now. But there's okay, no yeah, like... Done, we're done. There's no comedic premise to it that, that, yeah. with any level of consistency. It's just, it's just bad. I think it's it I think it like it could have been a little bit better in the scripting stage but like something just in the alchemy of how it's filmed and performed is just like it's dead it's dead there's just not there's nothing here it feels like how there was a story I think Esther you showed this on uh Twitter about how someone removed the film grain from a comedy film from the 50s and it stopped being funny I feel like the film grain got removed from this somehow <laughs> just just there's something here that just got sucked away yeah. But anyhow, uh, let's talk about Crack TV and save the best one for last. Yeah. Crack TV is a Michael Swaim show that is honestly like really innovative since it's a proto Tosh.0. It's a proto yeah. Yeah. equals three. It is, it, is a, it is a really, really innovative show in that he is the deadpan narrator and he pulls up internet clips and riffs on them, basically. Now, is it funny not really. It's it's better than like Ray William Johnson and it's clear again this guy knows like delivery and writing to some extent. So it's yeah. not like offensive. It's perfectly watchable as internet slop He's goes. He's like a comedy troupe guy. Um he had yeah. like prior to joining Cracked a like uh like a sketch comedy group called Those Aren't Muskets and it's like I I think that it's by the very low standards of what we're gonna see. That means that he has like screen presence, right? Like he can yeah. deliver a deadpan joke. He's not really just like grating to look at or or hear. He could be like the least funny guy in Whitest Kids, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, but he wouldn't embarrass himself there either. So you know what? Props yeah. to him. I will say the curation thing. He's also doing a good job there because yes. there are some. The one called The Seven Creepiest Simpson Fan Tributes, in yes. Spirit of Honesty, I have to say, I was literally crying laughing at heart, like at this one. I was literally like in tears. Yeah. This is the single funniest video we have ever had to watch for <laughs> Get Cynical. And it's not even because like Swaim is like, the writing's amazing. The stuff he digs up is just so good. Yeah. And... The 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 Simpsons tattoos are really gross and disturbing. I loved the, the Homer tattoo that just said like hip hop old school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But 
the the one of the Simpsons animations that are really creepy. Yes. I lost my mind at Homer saying, Marge, <laughs> you're breaking my heart. <laughs> yes. I was li- I it, I was hyperventilating. It was so funny. It's, it was it's, great. I want to I want to like seek those out. I want to watch them in full. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, no. That site I still have. I did check oh, it out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The the, the site's still there. I mean, it, it's when I saw those like within the video, I thought like, oh shit, is this the guy who made like Dilbert two, Dilbert three? It does remind me of that too. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to that type of like sensibility and like like that was a really good part of like. 2000s internet humor is just like making the most fucked up flash animations you could possibly make (laughs) yeah no just just making really disturbing flash animations and that was great like uh all-time great example of that uh is alfred's playhouse from newgrounds that's an all-time great example of someone using flash animation as just a ground for just just insanely horrifying shit to just just see how far you can push stuff but um no this was this was like not that bad i i was like perfectly happily watched all of these and again some of the there's a a couple okay jokes here and there and i did like the video where he takes shots at other uh, other people we've discussed on this on the show which i i mean like i think that that video in particular it kind of uh it's a top five like most subscribed youtube accounts and it's like number five is Jonas Brothers, number four is Universal Music Group, and the top three are all like very early like YouTube personalities. I think there's like Fred. Fred is in there. Ryan um, Higa. Ryan Higa's in there, which Swaim admirably um, uh, comes up with funny ways to avoid saying the name of that channel. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Smosh, I think. And Smosh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's very much like, like you said um, earlier, Spencer, there's a bit of like a generational um divide here and that like youtube is for the kids and this is for people who are very much that i'm gonna kill barney the dinosaur of this day right like it's it's of like people who are um like maybe high school age like i'd say like middle school to like very early college is like the target demographic here of like people who are like fred's for babies i'm gonna kill him um, <laughs> yeah. Or like you know the Jonas Brothers are girls and that's why I want them dead. <laughs> I, I do again. It's like I this is I think why I find Cracked more relatable than like the stuff we did in season two of this show, yeah. which was like Fred and Ryan Higa and all those guys. Like I I you know because you're a gifted kid because because <laughs> I'm like you know about to be thirty years old and I look at the shit that like my little sister watches on the internet and I'm like what the fuck is this Esther's a huge Skibbity Toilet fan well Skibbity Toilet is is good um, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about <laughs> we, Esther, we, Esther recently scared her fourteen year old sister by showing her Skibbity Toilet no my fourteen year old sister turned out to be too old for Skibbity Toilet. Um, <laughs> Thought that was thought I was very weird for bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, um, and when, when she says her bringing it up, it was me like kind of shoving her on the shoulder, be like, "Hey, bring up Skibbity Toilet." Yeah. Please, anyway. Yeah, anyway. 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 <laughs> but yeah, like it's it is very much a case of like wanting to draw that distinction and being sort of like a safe haven for in an internet that was getting increasingly kid friendly. Because when you think about like before the mid two thousands, what really iconic internet kids content was there like? Not much. Yeah. It was mostly like kids watching stuff that was like meant for people older than them. Um, yeah. And so. I think Neil Cicurega is like the only one who like could reasonably be considered kid friendly for a lot of his stuff at the time. Yeah. And even there, there was some, there were some like gray areas, but like Harry Potter puppet pals, that's like a childhood classic. Oh, yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so that's what we have from uh, Crack TV. Uh, perfectly serviceable host, great curation in places. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about hate by numbers. Um, so I'm just going to, I'm going to rip the bandaid off right here, right now. If you're, if you listen to my other show, you already know this since we never stop bringing it up, but the host of this show, Gladstone, um, not only is he kind of a creep, but after his divorce, he got drunk and sent my friend Ty a bunch of flirtatious messages when she was 19 years old. Hooray! And a lesbian, so... 
Awesome. So cool. We, 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 someone should do the time to sex pest of Get Cynical Seasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I just, I needed, I needed to rip that off. Like, I didn't want to build up to it. I just need to drop it right yeah. here. He did get me teed in a more public sense later, yes. if I recall. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, he did. Uh, the first of many. Oh, Although the fu- that's very funny. Uh, I interviewed a, a a guy who like wrote a lot for Cracked before this. Uh, the interview is lost time, but I did interview him. When I told him about Gladstone, he was like, "Oh my god, I had no fucking idea. That's crazy." Um, <laughs> so that sh- that shows how low on the totem pole this guy must have been. Not Gladstone. <laughs> yeah, no. But Gladstone, he he he's got a video. He is like. He is like a less funny Michael Swaim. I don't know how to describe him. Frankly. I know like, how to describe him. Yeah, go ahead. How? He is the world's most shoved into a locker Jewish kid trying to be a bourbon bastard. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's so I funny. I mean, I didn't because... want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so funny watching him back to back with Michael Swaim because he is like, it feels like he's ripping off Michael Swaim, but just because he's doing it so much worse. But his His videos came first. But that's that's why it's so crazy. Yeah, because like I mean, I think Hannah, you're absolutely right that like he is the guy who's trying to give off this image of like you know swishing a glass of dark liquor and you know smoking a cigar and sitting in a big plush red chair in a library, yeah, a personal like, library, his, a big house. Yeah, his <laughs> intro music for like his first twenty episodes is like. It's it's like some band from the '90s that's like the National if they did a blues rock. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just like, it's a format you maybe could get away with in text, but that you absolutely can't get away with in video when you look like that and are sitting in front of a green screen. It's like, and we, you get so mad. It's, it's you insane. Get so mad. It's the angriest I have ever seen online. It is, it is, okay. Qualitatively, this is worse than equals three. Like, yeah. by a significant margin, this is worse than Ray William Johnson. But the anger level is on the level of like, youtube ranters like the amazing atheist or whatever it is it is the maddest i think i have ever seen a human being and the two i wanted to single out were six things that pissed me off about the cnn bikini teacher interview (laughs) yes okay i have thoughts about this one yeah go ahead it's it's basically that like um the cnn story that he's like commenting on here because he'll just like play a clip from like you know a, a news network and just pause it like six times and be like um yeah that was fail um but this segment is about like a teacher like a high school teacher i think who got fired after it was revealed that like she had a side gig doing like bikini hostess stuff on fishing boats uh like she would be there on a fishing boat to like Uber sex work is so awesome man <laughs> it's yeah it's weird. like not on a yacht yeah like not on like the Wolf of Wall Street's yacht. Yeah. She was on like Deadly's Catch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was. Uh, she was on Crab Grabbers on <laughs> Des- Destination America. It's, it's really, it's really inappropriate for for a teacher to wear bell bottoms at at TGI Fridays <laughs> as her side. Gig. Yeah, it's just uh, what we would do back then, and, and I was in high school at this time, so we would just Google all of our teachers plus sailor hat, and the ones that we would uh, uh, get results for, we would uh, harass constantly. It's, one of the funniest things about this video is is in the, the that I don't think he takes any like issue with, is that in the CNN clip, Mm-hmm. Uh, the anchor is interviewing this woman, and he's like, so what do you think, like, uh, what do you think would happen when, like, kids you know, they're going to look up on the internet. Like, and I'm like, I don't think any kid is going on the internet and Googling like my teacher bikini. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's the, the thing that I wanted to say initially was that like the first thing that he notes is like one of the things that he hates is that um, the news anchor like stumbles over his words and then sort of ad libs are saying it like, Oh, it's a tough story. And he goes like, really a tough story. Um, no, a tough story is when people are massacred in Darfur. Uh, these are just <laughs> boobs. And I thought for a second he was going for like epic bacon pop feminists there, that he was going to be like, you know, um, relax. Nope. It's just la woman. <laughs> no, no, however. He is, he is the world's first and probably truest Bernie bro. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot emphasize this enough. He brought back Hate by Numbers in the 2010s, <gasps> and 
made it all instead of like, you know, top 10 boob fails. There was one I watched that was like top 10 most DNC shill Joanne Reed moments. <laughs> this, yes. He saw how much money the Chapo guys were making and was like, all right, I can do this. That's so cool. He he tried to do the, um from like season uh, two, you're talking about how like, we need to to have a revival of guys saying I'm going to give Jeff Bezos AIDS. He was too soon on that, too quick on the draw uh, with I'm going to give Melissa Harris Perry AIDS. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the mid-2000s, he was like, uh, here are the top five things I hate most about Justin Bieber. And then he came back in the mid-2000s and was like, these are the top six most stolen primaries. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he is... The least screen presence out of anybody that I've ever seen. Like he's, <laughs> and what he gives across the vibe of, um, and and I, I'm surprised that he like stayed in that like ostensibly like you know left lane even, but he he absolutely gives the vibe of like these are unearthed tapes of like Ben Shapiro or like, um, oh, fuck what was that guy? I keep thinking Michael Ian Black is this guy's name, but there's this guy recently like you know who got in a lot of hot water for like saying. Um, you know, oh, I think that transgenderism should be eradicated. Oh, like, I think it was like Jeremy Knowles or something. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Or like, um, yeah, uh, uh, Stephen Crowder. All these people who are like failed actors and then go into the pipeline of like, you know, well, I'm just going to do like conservative hate content. He has that vibe, a hundred percent, of like somebody who does not have the charisma and is about like two months from being like, fuck it, I'm just going to cash a paycheck by like doing a slightly epic face while like you know saying that women shouldn't have the right to vote let's let's close this out by talking about my personal favorite thing from this whole from this whole section yeah the i got a feeling video yes. the black eyed peas one black eyed peas have officially I, written the worst song ever which you noted in the notes esther you are going to die at this one yeah and, and I, I i was i i was like as soon as i remembered that one i was like oh god this is so good you don't see shit on the internet this this good very often. <laughs> I mean, he has the usual complaints. The song's repetitive, you know. Uh, he uh, he talks about how like oh goddamn all these there's all these skanks in the video, <laughs> like all these sluts are partying. <laughs> yeah. But Esther, I'm gonna let you talk about the part that I knew you would die at, and the part that like remembering this like i like i it blew my mind it was it was unbelievable yeah the the thing that he takes the most issue with with the song i got a feeling is if if you don't know the song because i know a lot of our listeners are are like 12 years old um if you don't know the song there's a part where they go fill up my cup mazel tov um l'chaim yeah l'chaim yeah. is in when they repeat the line they add a little uh, echo that goes l'chaim um, and he take, he gets furious at this. He's like, how dare you? I think at one point he's like, I, I would like to associate those words with the memory of my Jewish grandmother, not these dancing drunk skanks. I want to be clear. He doesn't actually do a Ben Shapiro voice. That's just like naturally what your voice does when you're trying to quote him. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's no, he, he sounds worse than Ben Shapiro does. He does. It's, yeah. <laughs> He doesn't have any, like, sauce to his delivery. Like, Ben Shapiro, at the very least, like, has conviction at being, like, the most annoying kid in your class. He just seems, yeah. like, shy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is, a, it's it's the worst insult that you can give for somebody who's trying to be this epic and mean, that's, you know? That's exactly He just it. comes across as shy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's... <laughs> the thing that... The anti-Semitism allegation against the song is just, like, I was just like... Wow. <laughs> it's crazy. The reason it, why it's crazy to make that allegation about this song is because this is the best bar mitzvah song since the Cha Cha Slide. Like, <laughs> yes. This is probably played at every bar mitzvah since the year 2009 or whatever it came out. This is the fiddler on the roof of the 21st century. <laughs> but it is. It's like the perfectly, perfectly banal, inoffensive party pop song. To play when you have a room of people from the ages of like five to ninety-five. Yeah. Before we close out, can I say one thing that one like video of Gladstones that I remember, uh, where he what? got like again distressingly sincere for somebody who's trying to be like above it all. It was I don't even know what the subject of the video is, but um, I think he was like talking about like worst Christmas albums or something. 
And he mentioned one put out by Bob Dylan. And he just got so angry at Bob Dylan for converting to Christianity. It appeared that he had, like, found out that he had done that at some point in his life, uh, like, five minutes before recording the video. And that he was just now starting to, like, process his feelings about it. And be like, no, you son of a bitch, come back. That's so Change back. That's (laughs) Change back. Change back, And again, you can't be the bourbon bastard if you look like you're about to cry because Bob Dylan made a corny Christmas album. (laughs) That will be the beginning of season one of Cracked. We will cover it from its, you know, its rapid rise to its ruling of the internet to its uh, attempts to branch out into more ambitious material to its sudden and shocking downfall and implosion to the recent attempts to revive it. I'm very excited to talk all about this with Esther and Hannah. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, to close this out, let's just say, this has been Get Cynical, and that's all for now.